knives, machetes, saws, and shears, multi-tools, shovels, swords, axes, spears, hatchets, and tomahawks. If it cuts, snips, slices, or chops, Midway USA has it. Find great gift ideas in our huge selection of pocket knives and other everyday carry folding knives. Make a statement or create a family legacy with one of our top-of-the-line hunting knives. We've got a great selection of manual and electric sharpeners, too. For just about everything for the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Hello and welcome to the Truth From The Stand Deer Hunting Podcast. I'm your host, Clint Campbell, and you're listening to episode number 78, brought to you by Wicked Tree Gear. Today I'm joined by Chris Hennessy of Backcountry Hunters and Anglers, and we'll discuss some very important conservation issues that should be near and dear to the heart of every person who enjoys the great outdoors. So stay tuned. We are back and live. You're listening to another episode of the Truth From The Stand Deer Hunting Podcast. And as always, I am joined by my brother from another mother, hailing from the great state of Iowa, the Hawkeye State, Johnny Utah. What's going on, man? What is happening, player? Uh, player, player. It's almost uh, almost deer season, dude. I'm a little uh, I'm a little jealous, man. You're uh, you're going to be hopping in a tree stand here in T minus, you know, how many days? Like, what is it? Four days? Three days? Uh, what, what is today? What is today? Today's Tuesday? Today's Tuesday. Yeah, um, Saturday. Saturday, Saturday uh, I'll be September 1st. I'll be in a tree, man. Yeah, how does how does that feel, man? Tell, tell me tell me how does the other half live, <laughs> the, the, the people who get to hunt that early in the year? Dude, I'm telling you, it's, uh, it's, it's awesome. Um, I was talking to a buddy of mine today, and I'm like, it, it just, it doesn't really feel like the season's here. Um, yeah. you know, whenever you're just, you're so busy, uh, food plotting and you're still, I, I still feel like I'm scouting and, um, setting cameras and that kind of stuff. And, um, you know, scrapes haven't even started opening up and, and it's like, Oh, it's, it's time to get in a tree. Uh, yeah. so there's the nervous jitters, you know, the night before the first hunt where you're, you're packing your stuff up and you're going, okay, what I forget. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so hear that's that. gonna happen. Yeah, there's always that uh, the uh, the the first ascend into the first tree stand of the year, which is always like for me, it's always a disaster. You know what I mean? Like it's always like I'm, <laughs> you know, it's like I make a couple runs, you know, from setting a couple stands and trimming some trees and stuff like that. You know, so it's like it's not like I haven't done it, you know, in a full calendar year necessarily. Um, but that first run, especially, you know, well, at least in the early part of the season, you're hunting, hunting evenings and stuff like that. So at least you're not doing it in the dark quite yet. But that first, like, you know, climb in, it's like, you're like, have I ever done this before? Like, my God, like, should it take me this long to get into the tree? And like, you're a sweated mess. You know, it's like, you're just dripping with sweat. And you're like, yeah, there's, I, I'm pretty sure every deer within like a five mile radius smells me at this point. But, oh, for sure. Yeah. 
Yeah, but uh, so, dude, I know, I know we've talked about it just a, li- a little bit, and like we've we've hit it on it a couple of different times. And um, I know you went and you did a little scouting. You, of course, were did a little turkey hunting in this area. But you know, where are you headed for this hunt? If, if for, for the folks out there that might not remember, oh, I'm I'm going to be heading to uh, Bracken County, Kentucky. It's um, not at the uppermost peak. Um, you know, it's not right below Cincinnati when you cross the river. But it's kind of headed, you know, east a little bit. There's um, there's a town called Maysville. That's a city. That's probably that's probably the biggest city around there. Mm-hmm. Um, it's about 20 minutes away, but um, pretty hilly. I mean, there's some rolling hills, but then there's also some cavernous, you know, uh, big hollers and deep hollers and stuff like that. So um, it offers pretty good terrain, and you you know you generally speaking you got a lot of ridges to choose from. But this is definitely um you know alfalfa fescue country you know right. um not you know not a lot of corn and beans um but this is definitely what i would refer to as big you know big woods right the type of woods where if you squat down low enough you know you can see 100 yards right some some of these uh, you know white oak bluffs and stuff right I like that you referred to to it as as hollers. I already know what you're gonna say. Yeah, <laughs> it's like well, only because like you know you're you know you're a native son of Kentucky, right? And like the Kentucky West Virginia border is not too far away. And like yep. the West Virginia, I grew up not too far from West Virginia, you know, in Pennsylvania. So there was a part of West Virginia, like I think it was called Boiling Springs, if I'm not mistaken. You could get into from my hometown in probably like 40 minutes. Um, you know, so. Sure. That is like very much the vernacular that would be used in that area, like where it's they're hollers and not hollows. You know what I mean? Like, because that's kind of like yep. what it's like you're it's either a holla or a holler, you know? So, yep. I like that you're uh, that you're keeping that Appalachian vernacular intact, <laughs> even though you've moved to Iowa. <laughs> it's like, some, yeah, that's right. Something's travel, man. The uh, vernacular and the, and the mullet travel, I'll tell you. It's like, doesn't matter. Mullet, yeah. <laughs> Nice. So, like, so I know you went down and you turkey hunted, right? You were down there, you know, checking out the bird situation uh-huh. and, and did some scouting and stuff. So, have you got a? And we'll and we'll do a follow up podcast. You and I just talking about our overall season goals and and stuff like that as we get ready to kind of get into like the the national. Everyone's kind of jumping into the into the hunting season um, here in the next few weeks. But what do you have? As, as far as like, do you have a, a deer that you're after down there? Is there, have you, you know, of course, I know you've been kind of monitoring with cameras and stuff like that. Oh, how's the talent look, at, you know, for your hunt? Uh, yeah. So there's, it, it's, it's, inter- you know, it's interesting because, you know, with early season deer, um, you know how sometimes it's pretty easy to get them on a pattern or they're, they're generally speaking, they're on a pattern and people talk about, well, when they lose their velvet, then they go hard horn, and then they, they there's a big sh- a pattern shift. And they right. get erratic, and bachelor groups start splitting up, and, and and for the most part, you know that's pretty true across the board. But um, when I lived there in Kentucky, and I had more time to move cameras around, I could really kind of triangulate, and I might pattern you know one particular buck that I decided I wanted to target. Um, I did that in thirteen. I did that in fourteen. I did. Yeah, I did, did it in 15. Um, but that was the last years that I hunted as a resident there. So now that I've moved away, it's a little bit tougher. But um, 
been working with the landowner and, and, and another guy uh, that helps us out there, or helps him on the farm. I shouldn't say me. I'm just fortunate. I get to hunt a few days a year, but they, uh, they've been moving some cameras. I, I have one of my coverts down there, one of the cell cams, and that's that's been huge. That's been a huge, huge asset because I'm eight hours away. Right. And even to the extent of me being able to text him and say, hey, man, I'm down to 2% or 20% on batteries. Can you can you run and refresh my batteries for me? Right. Um, that's been a huge asset in getting, getting the intel. And we've moved the cameras around some. Um, so getting back to your actual question, sorry about that. Uh there's there's really five different bucks that I would I would love to shoot. Nice. Um, they're they're good they're good bucks. Uh, all of them uh, appear to be four years or better. One of them is is a three year old, um, but he's just he's a beautiful beautiful buck. Nice. And I get it. We want to chase mature deer. This the whole goal of this hunt is. Um, scout a property from eight hours away and with with some use of some trail cams not a lot of trail cams a couple and it's not like i've been able to go down there and move them each week i've right. only been able to move them once um but i want to velvet deer damn it you know right. what i mean that the whole time i lived in kentucky i wasn't able to um to harvest a velvet buck and with with this as part of the reasoning um, it used to be the second Saturday of the month mm-hmm. in September is when the season started. And then they went to a first Saturday of the month. And mm-hmm. back when it was in, um, uh, in the second Saturday of the month, uh, I want to say that was 2013. Um, there was a buck on September 9th that, uh, I saw he was full velvet. I just couldn't. I just couldn't get a shot off on him. He was. He was. It was too thick. And then on September 11th, I did harvest the deer, and he was completely hardhorned. Hmm. Now that I've moved away, the season has gone to this first Saturday of the month, and it's opening up sooner. It just so happens that this first Saturday falls on September 1st. Right. And I know that there's a pattern. You can look at the calendar throughout the years, and you know, days fall on different weekends, and you know that kind of stuff. Right. Um. So it'll be interesting to see, you know, what what the next few years come, but it'll never get earlier than September 1st. So to my knowledge, this is the earliest that the season's ever opened. And generally speaking, uh, with normal climate temps, everybody should have a legitimate um, five days to get a velvet buck, you know, before the first bucks start to shed. So uh, shed their velvet. so that's that's the goal, man. The goal is a velvet buck. Um, yes, you know I'd like to have a mature buck. Um, I'm not going to shoot a two year old, you know, or right. anything like that. But the, there's some there's some pretty pretty decent bucks, man. I'll tell you, uh, I, I left I left Kentucky and uh, the buck herd and the buck population's looking pretty daggone good right now. Yeah, I, I was kind of checking into. I know earlier in the off season we were kind of talking back and forth because i was considering trying to make an early season hunt and one of the places i was considering was was kentucky um just for that was for that reason because i was wanting to go try to get a you know a velvet deer or a velvet buck um and all the stuff i was reading on the forums and stuff like that was kind of pointing was kind of pointing toward that where it, it seems like it's kind of on the maybe you, you'd call it a sleeper state if if maybe might be a, a way to frame it you know it, i don't know that it would qualify or fall into like the 
the typical big buck category of like you know whenever people think of that and it's you know Iowa, Ohio, Illinois, you know, places like that. You know, I don't know Kansas. You know, I'm not sure where Kentucky would slot in, but everything I was kind of you know hearing from from guys that had boots on the ground said it was a uh, it was on the come up, man. So you know, I'm, I'm glad you got a couple deer down there to chase, man. And that's uh, it, well, this project or this hunt has a little bit more behind it too, right? Because I mean, you always film, but it, this has like a, a, a project that's kind of related to it, right? Yes, yeah. Um, you know, I, I've always had the idea, and I've always wanted to get a velvet buck. Uh, so this year, I am going to film this hunt. Um, you know, some of the footage will be used, you know, in an arrow wild episode, but. Uh, I'm the, filming filming a lot more of the back end story of this hunt for a uh, for a short film. Um, it'll be a short film titled Chasing Velvet, and uh, it's a project that I'm actually going to be doing uh, with Diamondback Truck Covers. Nice. And so um, they it's a company I've recently hooked up with and been doing some photos for, and they make a phenomenal product uh, that's very useful. You know, when you think of truck covers, yeah, it's not camo, it's not a bow, it's not arrows. Right, um, but I think every hunter stores some some of their hunting gear uh, in the back of the truck right. uh, that we don't want stolen. So they, um, yeah, they've they've come on board on this short film and um, going to be using some of the new Sitka early season wear. And uh, Sitka is going to building some content uh, out of this hunt as well. So it's uh, going to be a really really cool project, man. Getting to work with some companies that um, I've got a you know the utmost respect for and. Um, this is, this is my elk, you know what I mean? I mean, right. this is my big horn sheep, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, for sure, man. It's, uh, I've always wanted to get a, a, a velvet buck myself. Um, you know, hopefully maybe one of these days I'll, uh, I'll make it out to, to make that happen. You know, I mean, you're, you understand it's, it's a similar boat. It's like, you only have so much time to take off to be able to travel and you kind of have to pick and choose, you know, what hunts you want to do to take the amount of time off to do it and, and so forth. You know, and for me, this year, a travel scenario just wasn't in the cards. Next year, it won't be in the cards because I'm going to be coming out to your your neck of the woods for probably like three weeks, you know, next uh, yeah. next fall. So that'll be my main trip. You know, it's like I'll hunt PA, of course, but like I'm going to spend most of the fall in, in Iowa. Um, you know, so yeah. hopefully you, you know, you got a place. Yeah, you, know you got a place to crash, um, even if it's, um, you know, off your path, you, you can use my house as base camp you know, at the least for sure, man, I definitely plan to, uh, I definitely plan to visit the mulligans and, uh, and, and, uh, come, uh, hang out at the compound, if you will, man, I wish I had more, yeah. <laughs> I wish I had more exciting stuff going on in my world, man. My world right now is just really kind of sitting and waiting, you know what I mean? It's like, I got the food plots in, those are done. Actually, my dad just visited it to last week and it's only been in the ground two weeks and like the entire thing's greened up. So the old wicked greens going strong in that bad boy. So I got some really timely rain. I probably got like three straight awesome. days of just like a steady drizzle right after I planted like nonstop um, where it was almost oh, like we were, perfect. Yeah. Where it was almost like, want. yeah, it was like we lived in, like we were living in Seattle, you know, for like, you know, a handful yeah. of days afterwards. It was just like overcast, not too hot, constantly drizzly and rainy. You grabbed the flannel shirt, tied it around your waist. <laughs> yeah, I totally did, man. Put on like a chain drive wallet pierced my nose got weird you know painted my fingernails <laughs> uh, it's hilarious, oh, man. yeah started hanging out at coffee shops and like yeah exactly <laughs> yeah 
Yeah, it's still in the Play internet. Like, Eddie Vedder, come on. Yeah, exactly. That was I did that. The rain dance worked. The grunge rain dance worked, and I got what I needed. You know, and now it's just getting That's like awesome. Africa hot right now, which isn't terrible because it's still. Oh my gosh. Yeah, so it's yeah. it's it's stupid hot right now, which is timely because you know got plenty of the rain, and now it's like I'm getting the heat. So I feel like the plot is going to be in in good shape for this. Uh, for this fall and then i did do a camera check um one decent buck on camera on that property and then i did head to uh, uh, ohio and we'll we can dive more into like some of these things you know when we get into our um episode that we'll record later talking about what our plans are for the for the year and stuff but the ohio scout went well i saw some sign that i needed to see um in, in the area that i'm going to be hunting which is which is awesome which i'm excited Good. about hung a camera so hopefully i'll get some Good intel when I get back there. Um, probably try to do something in October and early earlier season hunt and head back there, of course, for for the rut. And then other than that, man, I just scouted a swamp piece that I just got access to through a, a, a conservancy group. Um, you know, it's a small parcel, like 23 acres, and I hit that this past weekend. Just got access last week and um, did a quick uh-huh. scout through. It's really a doe management kind of deal um, in the suburbs. Um, there was some buck sign in there that was historical, nothing brand new, nothing from last year, but... Um, the historical sign that looked like there at some point there had been some hammers kind of roaming through there, but it's all tore up with, you know, trails and stuff like that. So for me, that's kind of a, uh, a freezer filler kind of hunt, you know, that I can, can kind of do. And it's only like 25 minutes from my house. So that's kind of the, uh, that's kind of the plan there. And that's, that's kind of what I've been up to, man. So it's like, I'm just kind of finalizing the last few, the last few things and just kind of waiting now it's the waiting game for me, but you know, it'll be here before you know it. I think the 15th is the eastern part of the state's opener in, in uh, two of the w, WMUs that I hunt. So, almost here. Waiting. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. But that's about it. Yeah, we, uh, you know, Go ahead. Yeah, and you know, and that's that's been, you know, I this year, uh, I've mentioned it before, we, we didn't get a lot of rain uh, in my area, which is so weird because you can go 10 minutes west of me and, and they're like, man, my food plots are dying out because we had too much rain. And hmm. then you go five minutes south of me, and, and they're like, man, my, this is the best my plots have ever looked. But in my area, it's so spotty along the river. We just kept missing all these fronts, and, and we weren't getting rain. Um, one of my big soybean plots did really well, but it's 15 minutes away from me. Mm-hmm. Everything right around me, uh, my home property and my lease, my beans didn't do anything. Um so I had to switch over, and and everything became a fall. But um, hmm. my original intention was just to kind of interseed and overseed uh, some fall stuff in there. But yeah, they're they're all green plots now. Um, so I use a lot of wicked greens, mm-hmm. and the oats—they're just destroying the oats right now. It's so awesome. Nice. Um, they're really hitting the oats right away, and and which is fine because it's giving the radishes and everything and the turnips. Um, you know, the clover is giving all that stuff a, a chance to go ahead and get up and get established. So that stuff is uh, filling in really well. I'm real happy with the results of that. Yeah. Um, and, you know, and you know, like you, um, this isn't our full-time jobs. So right. uh, the day job, uh, we've been extremely busy. Um, nice. Wicked, Wicked is um, on the verge of breaking into... Uh, one of the largest uh, chain box stores in the United States. And um, there's been a lot of work going on there. 
uh, Tecumani Seed is rocking and rolling. Uh, the recognition that Tecumani is getting in the Midwest and the Northeast and the North, you know, like I've always said, it's amazing. People are like, so you're telling me that Tecumani Seed will grow in the North and the Midwest too? Like, yes. <laughs> if it'll grow in 120 degree sand, just think what it'll do in these other parts. So, right. um, we've got a lot of phenomenal dealers, uh, and farm, farm and fleet, you know, feed stores that are picking up the line up in the North and Midwest and, and it's flying off the shelves. I mean, wicked nice. greens, we're going, we will sell out of wicked greens this year and it's a brand new product for this year. So nice. that's, uh, that's encouraging. Um, Guys like the Tag and Brag guys and the Breaking Point guys, early outdoors. Um, I, I'm leaving some people out here, but I can go on and on. But uh, they're all sending me their pictures in, and they're just like, dude, yeah. this, we've never gotten anything to grow in this food plot before. So uh, it's doing well. And Glacier is, uh, you know, Glacier's is, is rocking and rolling. You know, people are picking up bagging up the coolers now that we have the full line in stock and yep. so it's uh the day job has been very 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 busy um you know along with the arrow wild stuff but right. i'm i'm looking forward to a little bit of a break uh i'm still gonna have my laptop with me i'll be working during the days you know typical early season hunts you know you go out that last hour two hours of daylight or whatever but right um so i'll still be working during the day but just knowing that i'm gonna be in a tree stand uh, it's got me smiling year to year, baby. <laughs> yeah, exactly, man. You can tolerate it a little bit easier when you know whenever you're done, you're gonna be, you're gonna be sitting in. That's a, right. That's right. In a tree stand, it does get it does get a lot easier. It's funny that you mentioned guys saying, you know, mentioning that you know they had challenges growing stuff in certain plots that they had planted in the past, and that the the, the money stuff is is working really well. Because I had this similar situation in this plot last year where I mm-hmm. I did plant just like a small little like a couple strips um, along the edge of the uh, the timber line of, of this particular plot. And so I was really kind of curious to see what was going to happen this year. And uh, I'm, I'm having kind of the same, the, the, the same results, you know, I mean, where last year I didn't get much of anything to grow in this, uh, in this particular area. And now this year it's, uh, it's doing what it, you know, exactly what you hope to hope it would do, you know what I mean? Which is cool. And my implementation was, man, it was pretty DIY, man. You know, it's like I sprayed the field off, and you know burned it off and then i i had a an atv with like one of those little groundhog discs you know which isn't like you know i mean it does the job but it wasn't like it wasn't like it was like a, a clean completely perfect you know seed bed that you see you know on a you know a, a production farm or anything like that um you know there was plenty of you know dead grass that was still there and stuff like that and i was just like you know i'm just going to end up using that as thatch and it'll hold moisture and you know hopefully i get some good seed contact put the seed on the ground and then went the old DIY method, man. I didn't have a call to packer, but I did find an old box box spring from a mattress that someone had thrown out along the road. And so I grabbed that mm-hmm. and uh, hooked it up to the back of the, uh, the you floor. You know, that was yours back in your rocker days. <laughs> yeah. I just, when you were, when you exactly. were playing that heavy metal and yeah. stuff, you know, that was your old mattress. Yeah. Exactly. In the back of the van. Exactly. Yeah. So I pulled that out of the van <laughs> and put it to good use. <laughs> drug the field with it and uh and i was like cool let's get some rain got some rain man and it dude so it was you know it wasn't like i had a ton of uh a ton of tools to use necessarily you know it's pretty common stuff an atv with a little disc and a you know a mattress spring you know or a box spring. yeah so 
Well, cool, man. So I think, you know, with that, man, a quick a quick little catch up before we jump into this next podcast. We've got um, yeah. Chris Hennessy on from Backcountry Hunters and Anglers. Um, Chris is a fellow that. Uh, oh, cool. Yeah. So he's, he's a fellow I ran into at the Great American Outdoor Show in Harrisburg. Um, he kind of heads up the Pennsylvania chapter. And he does oversee a couple other kind of regions in this in this specific area. I think you know Virginia. I think what they call it is like the the DC something area. It's it's related to everything that's yeah. kind of around around DC. I think is what he kind of manages and monitors. Um, you know Pennsylvania has a, a relatively new chapter that's that's growing uh, at at a pretty good rate. So that's you know in, encouraging to hear. Um, and the one thing that he and I wanted to touch on uh, was just the the land and water conservation fund that it is coming up on expiration um, here. I think at the end of September, like September 30th, I think it's something that's been in place for around 50 years. Many presidents have re- reappropriated it or, or re, re, uh, reapproved it along the way. And what it does is it is a fund that you know provides money for a lot of different conservation kind of acts and mm-hmm. initiatives from you know everything from broad scale, you know, clean water to, you know, building a baseball field in your, in in your local community. So, um, we'll cover a lot of different topics, but that is one of the things that we do want to cover because it's an important piece of legislation. It's coming up on expiration and just want to make people aware of it. So with that, we'll go ahead and get Chris on the line. Hey, Oh, I was going to add one thing. Yeah. Go ahead. Yep. That was just, that was just a psych. (laughs) Um, That was a psych. (laughs) That was a psych, psych, psych. Um, no, I think it's important to, I wanted to bring it up. Um, they are in the process of getting an Iowa chapter um, oh, nice. for backcountry uh, hunters and anglers. So um, I was on, last week, I was on a conference call um, with kind of the founding members uh, of that. And, and we're getting, you know, getting that going and uh, going to be doing some pint nights and kind of some like, some like deer, deer hunter mixer kind of things, you know? Right. Um, no farmers only.com stuff, but nonetheless do some pint nights. And, um, I, the, the BHA, it's just, it's a cool, it's a cool movement, man. Yeah. I think they're going to have a lot of success. It's something for guys and girls easy to, to get behind. Um, you know, it kind of breaks that old nomenclature of like, you know, yeah, we're going to have a, you know, we're going to have a banquet, going to have a whitetail banquet. And yeah. generally speaking, Sometimes those things can get boring. They all are very important, and they all serve a purpose. Um, but the the method, it seems like, the way BHA is, is taking that public land front and um, addressing some different topics, mm-hmm. uh, I, I think it's great. And seeing, seeing the groups move move east and, and fill into the Midwest uh, is exciting for the for the future of hunting and conservation. Yeah, so, 100%, man. And that's killer that Iowa's getting in the, getting in the mix, you know, and um, – you know, Pennsylvania was one a place that had a chapter for a little while, and they, you know, spent some time building the, I guess, the structure of it. And it's really been in the past year that it's really kind of, kind of taken off. And the one thing, you know, I think that's interesting is that, you know, it, it, you have these local chapters, but people seem within this group to be very kind of tuned in to what is happening in other in other places yeah. and within other chapters. Yep, yep that's which probably is, the word I was looking for. Yeah, and which is really which is really, really cool. Um, you know, they're unique in that regard and it's also full of people, you know, who are um hunters and non hunters. You know what I mean? Which is which is really cool. Um, you know, kinda helping to yep. bri- bridge the gap uh between between those groups and um there was a fellow that showed up at my house. Chris had some stuff that he needed uh, one of the folks in this area that um does some stuff with BHA. He asked if he could drop some stuff off at my house and so this guy could pick it up. So he came over after work. 
um, to pick up whatever the box was that was was left here. And uh, it was kind of funny because we walk out and uh, I met him and I said hello. And you know, I was like, yeah, he left the box around the corner here. And uh, we got to talking a little bit. He's like, yeah, he's like, I've never met you before. He's like, but I knew the voice because he listens to the podcast, which was kind of which was cool to meet someone who listens to the show. And then he we got to talking a little bit and he's a new hunter. Last year was his first year hunting, you know, which is super cool. So it's not only is it doing stuff great for conservation from the clean water, like the legislative words, they're hard today, the legislative perspective, but it's also introducing people, you know, to hunting and in, in different ways that may have not have been introduced before. So that's all important work that they're doing. So with that, not a psych, we're going to go ahead and get Chris on the line. Not like this time. It's the real deal. It's really happening. BHA podcast. <laughs> Here he is. Hey, gang, quickly before we get Chris on the line, I want to take a quick second to talk about our partners that continue to help us make this podcast possible. We are, of course, brought to you by Wicked Tree Gear, the longest, lastest, fastest cutting, toughest tree trimming equipment you have ever used. Simply put, the toughest saws on earth. How tough are they? Tough enough to come with a lifetime warranty. And right now, when you visit wickedtreegear.com, use the promo code TRUTH at checkout, you'll get a 20% discount on your Wicked purchase. I actually just had a buddy reach out to me recently. We were talking about a pole saw versus a handsaw. He was looking for a kind of a combination piece, and the ultralight is that. The ultralight is a, a, a kick-ass pole saw, but the head also comes off to where you can detach it, and it can act as a handsaw. Cause it's, so it's kind of a two-in-one, which really kind of fit the bill that he was looking for as a super mobile kind of public land guy. He's you know looking to kind of stretch the dollar and uh, get, the, get the most bang for his buck, so that was getting the job done for him. We're, of course, also brought to you by Excess Outdoor Gear. The Trek camera comes in at $145. It has a uh, same proprietary shell design as the lift series camera save five-year warranty and unmatched customer service photo video time lapse and hybrid modes it also has a very simple single line backlit led display and you get about 20,000 images on one set of lithium batteries if you'd like to learn more about exodus trail cameras check them out at exodusoutdoorgear.com and if you like what you see save yourself 20 bucks and use the promo code truth at checkout we're also brought to you by tecamani seed I'm getting ready to go back and check my food plots, or I will have checked my food plots by the time that you all hear this. Um, and the first photo that I got at them of them uh, from my dad, things are looking pretty good. So don't delay. There's a, few, a little bit more time left. If you haven't got your fall plots put in the ground, make sure you check out techamani.com and use the product selector tool to have them help you pick the right uh, seed for your food plots. Use the promo code TRUTH at checkout and save yourself 20%. We're also brought to you by Glacier Coolers. Simply the world's finest. Whether you're hunting, camping, or fishing, you'll enjoy smarter design, stronger construction, and superior insulation of Glacier Coolers. Visit them at GlacierCoolers.com. And now, without further ado, without another psych, let's talk to Chris. All right, welcome back to another episode of the Truth from the Stand Deer Hunting Podcast. And today, I'm joined by my buddy, Chris. I'm going to say your last name. Make, make sure I get it right. Hennessy. Correct. Just like the drink. Exactly. <laughs> Just like the hip-hop R&B drink. So, no R&B hip-hop show here today. But uh, Chris is from BHA, and uh, we struck up a conversation originally at the Great American Outdoor Show in Harrisburg. I stopped by the booth. That was where we had our first original run-in. Um, but you've been kind of hopping, man. I know you're you're doing a Marriott tour here lately. So uh, mm-hmm. how you doing, man? How you been? I'm doing good. Yeah, I'm getting around. Um, spent the last three nights in three different Marriotts on a tour of the East Coast, hitting a bunch of different BHA events and uh, conservation events. So yeah, keeping 
keep him busy moving around. Get right. Him, I'll get home tomorrow, though. There's there's a lot worse things to be busy busy doing. I think. Yeah. You know. For sure. Um, so for those folks out there listening that may have not run into you at the BHA at the, or at the uh, Great American Outdoor Show or any of the events that you've been to, if you wouldn't mind, just give us a little bit of background about you, where you're from, what you do professionally, and then you know, of course, what you're doing with BHA and so forth. Okay. Great. Yeah. My name is Chris Hennessy. I'm the regional manager for Backcountry Hunters and Anglers. Um, myself and and um, the rest of the Eastern team, I'll call them. Uh, we we work for BHA, handling things east of the Mississippi. We have a whole team uh, based out of Missoula, Montana, and other places as well. We have thirty. Our next hire will be thirty-one staff. Wow! So yeah, it's getting big. Yeah, that's a, so, that's quite a team, man. Yep. Uh, but about me, I grew up uh, probably about ten miles from here. Oh, really? in Flower Town, Pennsylvania. Okay, I'm. Uh, I actually just got a piece of swamp ground access to a piece of swamp ground up in that area. Oh, yeah. This past week, yeah. Okay. So, yeah, it was suburban Philadelphia, basically, a mile from the, the city limits where I grew up. Not a lot of hunting there, but um, my dad was a deer hunter who did that typical Pennsylvania thing where he would take a week off work and go mm-hmm. upstate uh, to a camp with a bunch of guys every year. And that was, you know, how I learned that hunting was a thing because it wasn't a thing that we did around home because it was right. too urban. I did fish around home though a lot as a kid. Uh, it was a thing I could do. So right, um, yeah, fishing's pretty big around here, man. Especially because you're you're not too far away from like the open water either. So yeah. you get a little bit of both. You know what I mean? It's like I have a good buddy who's a big fly fisherman. Like that's the thing that he's really into. Um, I don't know that he does any open water, but it seems like the fishing thing is a little bit bigger around here, especially from where I'm from in Central PA. Yep, zero water. You some lake water, Lake Raystown. Yep. Is one that you could go get on. My dad had a boat out there for a while. Um, but yeah, it seems like fishing's kind of a thing around here more so than, than I've been used to growing up. Yeah, fishing's done nothing but get better since the since the sixties and the seventies around here because the water's cleaner. Really? Than it used to be. Yeah. The, the rivers and streams are cleaner than they used to be. A lot more manufacturing back then, is that what it was? Or Yeah, it was what manufacturing and you know, lack of uh, environmental laws, basically right. regulations know, clean, and clean water forth. acts worked and it cleaned right. up our rivers and streams. Right. So, yeah, I, but I grew up. I would drive right past here actually on County Line Road and, right. to get to uh, Peace Valley Park. Okay. Yeah. When I was a kid, to fish Lake Galena for muskies. Nice. So the other thing, the only two things my dad really cared about in the outdoors was deer hunting and musky fishing. Right. And Lake Galena and Lake Nakamixon. Not, yep. Were two of the places that we uh, we fish for muskies. So yeah, familiar with this area a little bit and nice so i know as we were walking in when you when you pulled up my attack dog lick lick you to death you know and slobbered mm-hmm. all over you uh we were talking a little bit about our seasons and, and prepping for the uh the upcoming 2018 season so what are your plans for this year for deer hunting as it's because it's just on the eastern part of the state here you might remember like we're only two weeks out at this point or by the time this launch is only like a week out right um because it'll be live the 15th is when uh, archery season will start here in in 5D and 5C. Okay. So we're getting close. Yeah, well, I'll have to wait another couple weeks after that because I'm in 4D yeah. where I live in. I live in State College now, so the dead center of the state. Um, whitetail season for me is going to be a typical one this year. Most of my, my hunting spots are within 15, 20 minutes of the house. Nice. Um, all public land. I have some private land that I'm allowed to hunt, but... It's, I just walk across it to get to public. It's right. Really, it's, it's too, <laughs> Got it for it, access. Yeah. There's there's not there's not anything living on it. Right. So, um, yeah. But that's it. You know, do some 
So I'm whitetail hunting. I'll get my son out. He's 11, just turned 11 Thursday. Nice. He's been in the stand every year for the last three years. He's never pulled the trigger. Nice. But we're getting there. We hunt with a crossbow. Okay. Nice. Um, for archery. So hopefully we'll get William on something. I got a double ladder stand set up that we set up last weekend. Got some yeah. cameras out. I got a hunting buddy that he and I sort of uh, share cameras and monitor properties together. Nice. So, That's cool. Yeah, we're keeping an eye out. We'll, we always have a pretty good supply of does and right gotten lucky last two years i got a, a decent buck the last two years in a row right. so there's nothing wrong that sticks yeah nothing wrong with those freezer fillers either man no i love That's that for sure i'm all about that i'm way more of a, a meat hunter than a horn hunter not that i mind them yeah but yeah yeah definitely don't turn them down when they when they present right. yeah. but i've eaten a lot more doe meat than i have buck meat i guess so let's just put it that yeah. let's put it that way That's a. i'm trying to get my daughter out this will be well not trying she's asked to go this year i've not I've not pressured her. Mm-hmm. She's gone turkey hunting with me the past three seasons, I guess, that she's gone with me. Um, and she's been interested in deer hunting, and she shoots a compound. Um, she can't pull enough back yet to, you know, let one let one fly on, a, on an animal at this point. But uh, this year she did ask to go, and so I'm going to be doing the two-man ladder stand deal on my father-in-law has a farm back towards home. Nice, easy setup. Early, early season hunt for an evening hunt. That mm-hmm. way, it's nice and warm for her. It's not going to be cold, you know. Yeah. So, it's all about having letting her have a good experience the first time. Um, but hopefully, I'm hoping to be able to put a doe in the freezer that night so she can kind of see the whole thing unfold. Because I think if, once she has one approach the stand and gets the gets that adrenaline pump, I think I might have her hooked. Then at that point, she just yeah. needs to have that one thing. Because turkey hunting, I always admit, it's like I'm the world's worst turkey hunter on the planet. So turkey hunting with me for her is like a really bad experience. <laughs> it's not the greatest introduction to hunting, if I'm being 100% honest. So much so that I actually took a friend with me this year. I was like, hey, man, you got to help me with the setup so I can do some calling for me because this just isn't working out. Make like, something happen. Yeah, and it still didn't work. But uh, that's cool, man. It's I wish I had everything 20 minutes for me, man. I would love that. Most of my stuff's like a three-hour drive back home. I do have a couple public pieces around here that I'll hunt. Um, and then I just got access to a swamp. I, I work – or. I'm a member of a heritage conservancy that, you know, conserves like certain parts of land from being developed and mm-hmm. so on and so forth. And so they come in and have, you know, have a group of guys, whatever it is. I think this year there's maybe 50 of us or whatever. And uh, they give you access to these pieces of ground that are that are private but public access through permission or mm-hmm. whatever. Yep. And uh, basically the, the real job is just trying to reduce the doe numbers and so forth, right? But, you know, if you kill a buck, it's okay. It's just they want you to try to take doe numbers. So, sure. you know, you you load up on your doe tags and you try to fill your freezer and it's usually, you know, small chunks of timber in between homes and stuff like that. So it's like the pinch points are pretty well defined. So it's like, as long as you put your time in, you usually end up being successful. At least that's what I'm, what I'm hoping for. But so BHA, man. So for those folks out there listening that may not be as familiar with backcountry hunters and anglers and what you guys do and and what it is, could you just give us a a quick, you know, the, the cliff notes version of uh, what you guys are and what you, what you do? Sure. Backcountry hunters and anglers started in uh, 2004 by a group of folks sitting around a, a campfire out west. It was uh, six men and one woman. And what they were talking about was that there were great conservation groups working in the U.S. and across the country, but that they seemed to be um, region-specific or species-specific. Mm-hmm. So wild turkey, elk, right. foundation, local local land trusts and local local conservation orgs that were working one state or part of a state. And what they felt was lacking was sort of a 
I don't want to say umbrella group, but but a group that cared about all species, mm-hmm. all land and water, um, no matter what. And specifically at that, no matter where it was. And at that time, specifically too, you know, backcountry was, was really important to them. It was stuff that was far from the road, you know, where you needed to put a back backpack on and right. work your way out there. Right. You know, talking about riding ATVs or something like that. So that right. was the original beginning of BHA. And it went along for about 10 years doing well and growing, but not, not growing exponentially until, um, my my boss Lance Hawning was mm-hmm. hired, and Lance came on with a lot of experience in in conservation. He worked in D.C. He'd been around. He he had a, a bold vision, and he came with experience and you know solid backing and a board that was all for g- getting big. Right, and that is what has happened. Right, Lance has um, executed on his vision, and we're now thirty one. We'll be thirty one employees, I believe, the next one that gets hired. So. Nice. Um, and it's gone from, you know, Rocky Mountain West and Washington and Oregon to almost all of the U.S. We've got a few spots we're filling in. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm working on starting a New Jersey chapter right now. Mm-hmm. Um, West Virginia is probably coming up next. Nice. A um, few spots in the Midwest. Some other folks are working on and we're working on Canada. We've got mm-hmm. two chapters in provinces in Canada and we're working on a bunch more. So mm-hmm. it's a North American concern it's not just uh us and what we're our main focus is you know making sure that wild public lands and waters that are fit for hunting wild lands fit for hunting and fishing stay fit for hunting and fishing and stay wild lands we want to make sure that they're there that we have access to them and that when we get there there's something to hunt and fish for right so you know preserving protecting however you want to put it um wild places and then, um, you know, wildlife we see is another thing that we, we, we work on right. to make sure that the wildlife are taken care of. And uh, another sort of plank that we work on is um, fair chase, which okay. is a little yep. a little trickier because that's got a morality piece in there, which is hard right. to legislate, but, you know, or, or to put a set of rules on. But we do think about it. Right. And, and some things in there, clearly, we, we know where we stand. Um, because it's sort of where all real sportsmen stand. Right. But so that's the other piece and we're growing like crazy. We're close to, if not at 24,000 members now, nice. um, Pennsylvania is well over 700. It was 400. I mean, and that's brand new too. Oh, well, Mm -hmm. I'll say it's, um, it's fervor is brand new. Maybe it might be a better way to put it. Cause I know that there were some folks who were kind of designated, you know, when I looked maybe two years ago or whatever, that there was a a structure yep. maybe shall we say it was in place right um and i know that i had reached out a couple of times just saying hey i'd love if there was like an event here you know somewhere close by philadelphia you know that i could go to it'd be awesome and they said that they were working on it and then soon thereafter i heard your name you mm-hmm. know what i mean i think you may have even actually responded to one of my emails um and uh, and then we met at the great american outdoor show like i'd mentioned it seems like since the new leadership kind of came in from the Pennsylvania perspective. Like it seems like it has just grown gangbusters, man. So kudos to you for, you know, you and your team for, you know, doing the, doing the good work, man, doing the the good deeds, if you will. Yeah. I appreciate that. And that, and you're right. It did. It took some staff and I'm, I'm, I'm the staff, right? Not that someone else (laughs) couldn't have done it, but right. (laughs) Uh, And a lot of great volunteers, Uh, the, the, the Pennsylvania board and the, the current Pennsylvania board and the, the guys that preceded them, um, all share in that 
success that we've had. Yeah. I mean, it, it took it took a few years to just get the basics down, and there really wasn't much in the event category. You know, they were right. they were working on figuring out what this new thing was. And yep. Um, but when I came on here in Pennsylvania, the first thing I did was get a a solid group of thirteen board members in place, mm-hmm. and they all volunteered. You know, we, no one yeah. put a gun to any of their heads, and, right. and all all of them, all, all but one, are still are still with us. Nice. So, and then we're almost a year in now, and they're doing fantastic. Um, led by uh, Nate Frank as chairman, mm-hmm. uh, and those guys are just doing great. You know, this upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tacovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tacovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecovis store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots as well as free returns and exchanges and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Yeah. Yeah, it's a good group of folks. I mean, I got to meet a few folks whenever I was at the uh, the outdoor show. There were mm-hmm. some folks at the booth there. Solid, just solid dudes and, yeah. and women. Don't, yeah, yeah. don't, and don't, women. don't let me yep. exclude, you know what I mean? But because uh, I met, I met both while I was there, you know, but it was just like when I see solid dudes, I'm just encompassing everybody. Yeah. So solid, solid people all the way around. Well, it is all men, but that is not by design. So if there's any ladies out there listening who would like to be on the board, we'd reach really out reach out we, yeah. we would really like to have a, a more uh, uh inclusive board so yeah. that'd be awesome so i'm curious man you were mentioning west virginia might be getting ready to come on board here and mm-hmm. hopefully some you know the groundwork is being laid to do that i'm just curious thinking about you know the type of work you guys are doing and stuff like that is there do you notice and i know that you kind of preside over pa but you know you of course of course, you're talking to your colleagues and so forth. Well, I do have I have a bunch of other states too. You have a bunch of other states. Oh, yeah. Okay, so, yeah. So, what so I'm, I'm I'm Pennsylvania. I cover Pennsylvania, New York, New England, and the Capital Region. Capital okay. Region is um, uh, Maryland, DC, and Virginia. Okay. So yeah, I'm I'm all over the place. Right. Yeah. So, Hence yeah, the we, Marriott tour. Yes, and we have uh, <laughs> we have similarly dedicated boards in, okay. in all those places. Okay. Interesting. So, so I'm just curious if when you get into places like, say, like West Virginia, for example, or states, yeah. just any state, right? Pick a state that has a strong economy related to mineral, right, extraction or use or whatever the case is, right? Mm-hmm. Do you find it more challenging to create, you know, uh, you know, I guess a structure in those places? Or do they seem just as open and willing to kind of have the conversation and, and, and get involved? Yeah, it, uh, that stuff doesn't. I mean, it's everywhere for mm-hmm. one thing. You know, we've got plenty of extractive industries in in Pennsylvania, and BHA is not. We're not against extractive industry. We realize mm-hmm. that you know, uh, I got gas in my house. Right. Yeah. So got it comes from car, somewhere. Or, yeah. Until we make a sea change on how our, where our energy comes from, we realize that there's going to be extraction. Right. Um, so it just becomes about doing it in a way, 
Right, and kind of like aligning to how it's going to be done. Yeah, and and what we would say is there are places that are too too precious to drill or or, what, right. or mine or whatever, no matter how bad we need it. Right. they are that valuable. Right. So, but a lot of places, yeah, we get it. It's, it's got to come out of the ground. Yep. Um, but it, like to answer your question, though, I mean, it, the way our chapter start is that people demand it of us. I mean, That's awesome. basically, we, we wait until there's a climber. Mm-hmm. Um, and that we have folks on the ground who are willing to step up mm-hmm. and be committed to running a chapter. And also right. we have we have minimums on how many members we have in that state. Right. So we'll, we'll set them on a process to make sure they have, A, the, the membership numbers, and then also the leaders in place. And then once all that happens, we'll start giving them tools um, to run a chapter because mm-hmm. we have systems right. um, yeah. from national. And... Um, once they think they're ready, they get to write a letter to the national board and present their case, and the national board will vote uh, whether they get chaptership. That's awesome. Yeah. So yeah. there's a system in place for it. It doesn't happen, you know, overnight. It doesn't happen overnight, right? Yeah, and it's, it's designed not to. Right. Well, yeah, I mean, it's like you want to make sure the folks who are doing it are going to be committed. Right. You know what I mean, to it. Because, you know, for one, because you are touching at times sensitive issues, right? And sure. so you can't have... You know, I work in marketing and advertising, right? So you can't have someone damage the brand and damage your ability to get good work done in other places, right? right? So you have to be mindful of the type of folks who are going to be representing you in these different places and make sure that their commitment level is the same, they have the same morals and ethics and are going to handle sensitive situations in a similar way that national and those who they work with locally want to, to be managed sure. in the same type yeah, of Yeah, and, and we need the state-level uh volunteers and leaders to i mean to, to a to have to have credibility for one thing but also we need their knowledge they they know best what's happening in their state right so we rely on them to be the eyes and the ears and to guide the policy you know it's, it's a very we call it grassroots and it is i mean right. it is a bottom-up organization in a lot of ways right. which is which is how we want it so yeah. um yeah have those those that volunteer system that state leader system is key to to how things go here right and so yeah, so I think you you mentioned national, right? And and um, you know it has its origin is in the West. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, one of the things you know I think you know folks when they hear of BHA, if they're if they're familiar, I think a lot of a lot of folks just kind of default to thinking that they deal more with Western Western issues, right? Because that's where they got their their name, right? It's where it started. And it's also a place where there's been a lot of recent like in the news type mm-hmm. of headlines where. You know, BHA was involved in having a perspective on it, and I'm sure, to probably a high degree, had some type of like real advocacy involvement in, in making changes or putting forth, helping to hopefully shape policy and stuff like that. So, you know, I think one of the things, especially in a place like PA or on the East Coast, that there's a little bit of a disconnect because they folks might not feel like it impacts things that they're interested in, right? Mm-hmm. Because um, it's just like voting, right? So you vote your conscience. You vote. Everyone should go vote what's important to them and not what's important to their neighbor or the person three states away, right? They should vote what they what's important to them. So from that perspective, you know, what are some of the things that BHA is doing on behalf of deer hunters? That way, whenever you're talking to you know the places like PA and Michigan and Iowa or you know Georgia or whatever, where where deer hunting has a huge culture mm-hmm. and that's the thing that's most important to them, just from a hunter's perspective, because we know there's non-consumptive users that have Sure. You know, aspirations and likes and dislikes as well. But for you know, the, for the deer hunter and the Pennsylvania deer hunter, like what are the t- some of the things that uh, BHA is working on on their behalf? Sure. Uh, yeah, your your perception is right. Like the the 
the big, I hate to call them sexy, but the big sexy threats are out <laughs> west, right? You know, mm-hmm. where, you know, wholesale federal land yep. takeover is on the agenda for, yep. for some people. Yep. Um, the people that we that we fight against. And um, in the east, we have, we do have plenty of, you know, federal public land too. And, mm-hmm. and one, of the, one of the reasons that BHA exists here is that we feel if there's success in the west, mm-hmm. the next place they're going to come. Yep. It's here. Yep. Right? Because we have more people here. Land is more valuable here. Mm-hmm. You know. Um, a lot think, easier to get mineral, oil, whatever you're extracting. A lot easier to get it on the water and send it somewhere here yeah. than it is in the middle of the West. Sure. And there's and while in Pennsylvania, we always think of public land, or not always, but largely think of public land as being state land. Right. Because um, we have a great system of state lands here. Mm-hmm. Um, that's not always the case. There are, there are big tracts of federally managed land and mm-hmm. in virginia down south we have mm-hmm. the allegheny national forest here there's green green mountain national forest and others up in new england so mm-hmm. they're they're the federal land what happens with federal land out west can have an impact on what happens here with federal mm-hmm. lands too but i wouldn't limit it to to federal lands i think right um folks that want to take public land and and use it for their benefit will eye up the, Any piece the, of public the prizes land. of the east as readily as they will the prizes of the west, and, and right. some places more readily because right. it's probably more valuable. Right, and because there's so <clears> much <throat> out west, it's probably and I'm just making assumptions here and, and and hypothesizing, but because it is less expensive, right? It's like, mm-hmm. man, no one's going to notice if we lop off this hundred thousand acres. You know what I mean? It's like because in the grand scheme, like the hundred thousand acres is like. If someone decided it's like, eh, let's take an acre of this piece of state ground here and let's go ahead and sell it off. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? It's like, so you have to think about the scale of it too. Sure. Right. And then if they are able to do that there, and what you're kind of saying is like, it sets a precedent. Right. And that's all like when we're, when we're talking about law and legislation and all those types of things, when they start to consider whether something is lawful or unconstitutional or whatever the case is, they go and they look at what has been done before. Right. Is there a precedent set for this action? And what does it and what was that action? Right. So exactly what you're saying. It's like so they say this hundred thousand over here is okay. Well then they come to PA or wherever on the East Coast and try to do the same thing. They go back and they look and say, Well, we allowed it here, so we really can't not allow it here if the circumstances are similar or the same. Right. Right? Which makes it that much more important. Yeah. And like all that is, you know, that we don't want to paint a doomsday scenario, but I mean that—that's what we worry about, you know, right? That kind of stuff. Yeah. And in in Pennsylvania, you know, to more precisely answer your question, like, what do we bring for Pennsylvania? Um, Sunday hunting is one of our our, our biggest advocacy um, initiative here right now. And I know you want to talk about that, but yeah. Um, before we get to that, we have another um, issue that we're dealing with. A place called uh, Haunts Peninsula at Racetown Lake. You said you're yeah familiar with Racetown. I actually read something about it not too long ago. Yeah. So that's another piece that we've advocated here for. And it's not a huge chunk of property. It's 500 acres or so right on Racetown Lake. And there's a proposal. Racetown is run by the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers because yep. it's a flood control um, project. Um, so there's a move there by a developer from Texas, I believe, to take over that 500 acres uh, and build a, a marina and... Mm-hmm. Like a hotel facility, and he's he owns adjoining private land, right? So he wants to connect these two, basically lease this this chunk of property from the U.S. Army Corps, um, and turn this you know, amazing 
mountainside and peninsula into, you know, highly developed. A recre- casino. Recreation. <laughs> not a casino. <laughs> right. But Well, maybe, maybe that maybe that is in the plan, but it's not in the current I plan. Wouldn't, no right. one has said that officially. Right, right. It, it's not been spoken, which doesn't mean necessarily yeah. it hasn't been thought of and is it I, on some napkin somewhere. I, I don't want to make it sound like I know what, what, what his plans are. Thinking right. Exactly. We only know is what his plans are because he's put them on paper. But right. Yeah, so that's a big move, and that's that is prime hunting and fishing land, and mm-hmm. um, there's plenty of folks to hunt whitetails there. Right, and there's a lot of bears there. And yep. There's grouse, and there's a lot of rattlesnakes and black snakes. Mm-hmm. And I know because I took my kids down there. Cause I, <laughs> if I wanted to talk about this place, I wanted to see it. I'd actually never been there. Right. So I took my wife and kids down there on Father's Day and we went for a hike. Nice. And it's uh, snaky. It's snaky. Yeah, it's pretty snaky. Yeah. So, <laughs> it sounds like a place I might need to avoid because snakes and I just... Oh, uh, you don't like snakes? Man, yeah. there are two things in this world that scare the bejesus out of me. One of them being snakes. The other one, spiders. Okay. So it's very classic. Yeah, I feel you on the spiders. Snakes, I, I like snakes. Yeah, I can't do them. Yeah. So anyway, it, it is a, a, a wonderful piece of property. It has a lot of um, like real rare uh, ecological values that have been you know sort of... Uh, enumerated in, in a number of biological reports. It's not, mm-hmm. I mean, I don't want to say that any chunk of forest is just chunk of forest, but right. there's some rare plant communities there. There's some other other things. We, we focus mainly on sportsman's access issues, so I'll kind of stick to that, but it is it is mm-hmm. also just a special a special place that you don't right. want to put under the shovel, you know, put right. the shovel to. So um, that is an issue we've worked on. There's a great local group out there fighting against that, and we've helped them a little bit. I think mm-hmm. you know, we're not going to say that we're leading leading the charge but right. yeah we're, we've you know gotten our members involved in some letter writing and making comments to the u.s army corps and mm-hmm. doing what we can with our our voices to say right. you know prefer that this stay the way it is right so we'll see what happens with that but that's that's one example um other places up and down the east coast similar issues you know um in new england there's a lot of um uh, gas lines uh, proposed to come down mm-hmm. from canada and Sometimes the easiest place to get those put through is on public lands. You don't have to fight individual people. Right, property owners don't really government, care, right? yeah. you know. So they made a lot of comments um, uh, to the regulatory bodies up there about those those types of projects. And mm-hmm. we everywhere we also just sort of keep an eye on general sports, sportsmen's mm-hmm. fishing and hunting issues. Right. So if they think, you know, we, we stick to our public ass access Wildlife issues, fair chase. We we don't move too far out of our buckets of right. of, of where we like to be. Um, we we sort of stick to our knitting. Mm-hmm. You know, there we won't go too far afield. But we we do get involved in other things too. So right. So it's you have a focus so where you can be effective, right? Because right. if you're we stick to what we know, right? And it, but at the same time, it sounds as though if someone reaches out and says, "Hey, we need some help with this," and it, and it's in the periphery of something that the BHA believes in. And is attached to the, like the core values. Mm-hmm. It sounds like you guys are also willing to kind of lend a hand if a hand is needed and requested, and it makes sense. Sure, right? Like hunter recruitment, retention, right. reactivation. Like the you know, making sure there's more hunters right in the future. That's definitely something that we're right we're interested in. So, out of curiosity, do you do anything with you know across different organizations like partnership with you know the QDMA or anything like that to do specific things like that? Because I know. You guys are working on that, and like I know that that's in their five-year plan is mm-hmm. to is to do those same things. So, do you guys find at times common ground and, and things to kind of work on together to for the better good? 
We do, yeah. Um, we have. I don't think we've worked directly with QDMA in in Pennsylvania or this far east yet. There's a um, some collaborative stuff going on in the Midwest, mm-hmm. uh, Great Lakes region. With okay. QDMA, we're you know fans of QDMA folks. They're yep. good folks too. They have a little slightly different focus, but yep. you know we consider them um, to be you know friends. Right. Um, yep. We are working kind of quietly to get a little more organized in Pennsylvania with mm-hmm. other um, sportsmen's groups and outdoor groups so that we know what each other is working on a little bit and right. we can find Not places. duplicating efforts necessarily and then also where you can support yeah. one another and find places find where Find places where there's overlap. Right. And that kind of coordination is not being really done. Right. Um, I'll give credit where credit's due. Uh, Trout Unlimited is leading that that charge okay um but we're believers in it and we're, we're taking part so that's right. a good thing cool. no real no real concrete stuff's come out of that yet we're still in like discussion planning right. stages but um the impetus for that was the the feeling that somehow in the last 15 or 20 years those groups um and maybe even sportsmen in general sort of lost a bit of their mojo mm-hmm. when it comes to um politics and being able to yeah um get our elected officials to lend an ear right um things got there was a lot to do in the 60s 70s 80s right you know there weren't turkeys everywhere right there weren't deer yep everywhere and i know there's not deer everywhere right <laughs> Guys, in certain parts of PA where you, you don't have enough deer. I know. I'm not, I wasn't. Right. I hear you. Uh, but yeah, I mean, whitetails are back. You know, turkeys right. are back. We've got uh, fishers and bears and right. coyotes living in places that they weren't when I was a kid. Right. So a lot of good things have happened. And we sort of the what I think and what others have, have said too is that sportsmen in general have gotten a little comfy. Right. Because things have been good, you know. Yeah. Trout fishing has been pretty good. You know, you can always go catch a bass somewhere. Right. You know, it's all. See turkeys when you go out, except when I take my daughter. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I, I see turkeys everywhere, but the places I hunt. Yeah. You know? I'm in the same so, boat. I'm in the same boat. So, yeah, we feel like maybe we've been coasting a little bit. And it's um, time to get our get our voice back and, and work together to have a little bit more um, influence and, and have people listen to us when we have an issue. Yeah. yeah. So. It's, I'm always curious where that type of, or where that complacency comes from, right? Because whenever you meet hunters, by and large, like, I'm just thinking of, like, the group of friends that I have, or just people in my family. Like, they are, they are the furthest thing from, like, complacent and or lazy or unmotivated or any one of those adjectives you could use to describe a person who doesn't have any gumption or get up and go, right? Mm -hmm. They're the opposite of that. And it just strikes me as odd that, that that that's an issue with that, with this group necessarily, you know what I mean? Like, I don't know where it comes from. I don't know mm. like how to put my finger on, like what's the thing. Part of it, I feel like is just like, there's so much divisiveness maybe within the hunting community where there's, you know, everyone, I don't want to say jealousy isn't the right word, but everyone wants what the other guy or other girl has, mm. as opposed to just enjoying the experience that's being afforded by the outdoors, as opposed to, what deer do you have hanging on the wall or mm-hmm. what buck did you name and get pictures of this year and it's your deer 
you know what I mean? Like to me, it's like that's where it starts to get lost a little bit. And like if I had to put my finger on something, and, and I don't know if that's it, but if I were to guess, it's like it's those things that started to kind of separate people from going. We're not all in this together any longer. I'm in it for X, Y, and Z versus the experience. What do you think? Yeah, I think that's part of it. Um, because our dollar is still good. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> you know. Yeah, I just also think that it, if we're, we're, I mean, Americans work on problems that that affect them, right? Mm-hmm. It's something that's like really banging on your door. Yeah, because otherwise we're all busy working and raising families. And everything. Yeah, you know, we got there's plenty to occupy your mind yeah. and your time and your hands with, right? So, I think if it's not really beating on your door, we tend to be like, oh, it's okay, right? You know, yeah, but. That that's why this Western you know lands transfer thing is so in our face right. because it's it's one of those times where it's like hey this is not okay right you know here's the thing that we we really need to address this or it's going to address us yeah it's so, going to be beating on your door sooner soon enough yeah. if it, it, you know if if we don't do something about it right and um, I think the other thing is that people don't know how to engage. In the real process anymore. Hmm. That's interesting. Like, it feels like you can go and rant on Facebook and you're good. And you fulfilled your obligation. Right. Like you're... Right. Like you did something. Yep. And you haven't done nothing. No. Probably except make someone angry at you. Actually you know? made it worse. Po- yeah. Probably. Probably. And what we all need to do is get together and um, not be mad at someone because the the rifle or the weapon or the right. weapon of choice or how they hunt or... Right. Let you know you got to let that stuff go and right and just be glad that we have amazing resources to hunt fish and everybody try and try and get along. Right. Not only that, but like think about you know, and this I think is the important piece is like evaluate honestly. Like so, I'll I'll give an example or a story. So you know, I like to think that I do as much as I can for hunting and you know recruitment and stuff like that because it's important. I mean, I take my daughter over here and I introduce her to hunting, but it was like I started thinking about you know the fact that recruiting an adult hunter is more impactful immediately. It's a, it's a, it's a very good short-term strategy. The youth is the long-term strategy, right? Mm. It's the long-term play. The, the short-term win is trying to get adults who are interested into this, into some type of hunting, outdoor fishing, something of outdoor activity sport that's going to create a license sale and mm-hmm. additional money for state agencies to use to, you know, keep the habitat, you know, in, in check and employ state agents, employ game wardens and whatever the case is. Right. Right. So I had to take a long, hard look at myself and say, am I doing as much as I can? And my answer was no, I could try to recruit an, an adult hunter. Right. And so I went out and, and I, and I did that. I think that, you know, we have to have the same type of evaluation when we think about the people we're electing to office. And think about what your priorities really are. Like, have that honest conversation with yourself about what your priorities are. Because I, I did it. And that's just a very small example, right? I did it. Like, what are my priorities? And are my actions in alignment with my priorities? And the answer was no. So I addressed it. Mm-hmm. Might not seem like a big deal to some people, but raising a family, working a full-time job, all those things. It was what, it was what I could do beyond being a member of, other, of multiple organizations mm-hmm. and, and giving my membership dues, right? Sure. So I think the same thing is true when you think about when you go to the poll to cast your vote. Think honestly about what your priorities are 
and then vote for the person who's going to be aligned with your priorities. If your priority isn't hunting, you're going to vote for someone who is not going or into the outdoors or environment or whatever, and you're okay with that, then I'm not saying that that's a bad thing. You know, then then vote for the person who is aligned with your priorities. But if you if your priorities are hunting, fishing, protection of the outdoors and wild places and stuff like that, like just don't vote for the person who's going to vehemently kind of fly the flag in, in, in the face of that, right? Because that's not, you're not voting your priority at that point, right? It's like, and then you stand and say, I'm for all these things, and yet my actions say something different, right? Because that's the one place you can have an impact. Sure. If you do nothing else, that's the one place you can have an impact. Yeah, it, it does matter. I think another thing that, you know, you can do when it comes to the political system is maybe, you know, pick, picking, um, you know, putting your vote where it counts for the things you care about is, is important. But, you know, our elected officials are re- supposed to reflect, you know, their, their constituents. Mm-hmm. So another thing you can do is tell them yep. what you want yep. and tell them often. And no matter, you know, what party they're from, whether they're from your party or another party, if you're an independent, whatever, they're, if they're elected to represent you, they still represent you. And you can tell them how you feel. Right. That you want them to take action on this issue. Yep. And that, and why, Yep. you know, um, that's meaningful and it does change minds, yep. you know, power of the pen, power of the pen, much and power of the phone call, power of the phone call, Yeah. power of the email, <laughs> phone call is best, phone call is best, I'll go in the office is best, right? But yeah. A phone call is, is real good. Nice. Um, email and, and, and letters are good too. Right. We're all three or all four. So, show up yeah. with a show up with a letter. Yeah, so we're we're we are not a, uh, a, a, a an organization that picks parties. You know, we're no. we're a five hundred one c three. We we don't we don't even if we could, we wouldn't want to endorse one party or the other. We, mm-hmm. what we what we want is no matter who you are, uh, no matter what stripe of uh, of politician you are, we want you to support public lands. We want right. you to support hunting, sportsman's issues, and I think that's a win for can be a win for anybody. Yeah. You know and and the folks that aren't that are that are aligning against um, those things uh, that we care about those issues, we need to ask them to change. Yep. You know, and that's that's how the system is supposed to work. Yep. Yeah. Yep. So, before we continue our conversation, let's talk about Wicked Tree Gear saws. Hardcore deer hunters need hardcore tools. Do yourself a favor and check out Wicked Tree Gear, the toughest hand saws and pull saws on earth. You buy it once, you buy it for life, backed by a lifetime guarantee. Right now, if you use the promo code Truth. You'll save 20% on your next purchase with free ground shipping. So head over to wickedtreegear.com and get a saw that's tough enough to work as hard as you hunt. So I want to shift gears here because I know the one thing when we when we traded some emails back and forth, um, you know, we, we talked a little bit about the, and I'm going to butcher this, so I'm going to actually read it so I don't get it, get it incorrect. It is the Water Land and Water Conservation Fund, right? Yep. I got that right. You got it. So it's funny that you emailed me because my wife had just sent me because I, my wife and I, we talk about conservation, you know, in the evenings and stuff like that. When we're, when we're sitting around, we'll talk just about anything like current events and stuff like that. And, you know, often because I have a podcast and then do this, you know, it's like conservation is usually often a topic that we, that we discuss. Um, and I was, I forget where I was at. I think I was at work and she sent me a text of a, an article that she read um, from a woman who is from King of Prussia, Pennsylvania. Um, she's a former, I want to say she was in the Navy and was, uh, you know, was active duty for a bunch of years and spent, you know, however many years on a, a naval vessel at sea. 
um, and then wrote an awesome article. I think it was in the Philly Inquirer, I want to say, um, about the the Land and Water Conservation Fund and, and its importance. Um, you know, it, it was I didn't know until I read that and until you and I shared an email back and forth that that was something that was actually coming up. And I feel like I know more than maybe the average person. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm not as plugged in as a lot of people, I'm sure. But I like to think it's like, I, you know, I would hopefully find that out before my wife does. But she found out before <laughs> before I did. Um, so, you know, and then I did some looking and, and, and reading about it and understanding like exactly what it is, where it ca- comes from, how it's funded and those types of things. I wanted to get educated on it. Um, and so, but before we jump into some of the details and stuff like that, if you wouldn't mind just, you know, give, giving an explanation of what's going on with it and what does it do? And then we'll kind of peel the onion from there. Okay. Yeah, sure. Um, so L- land and water conservation fund is a, the, we call it LWCF for mm-hmm. short because it's. A mouthful. It is a mouthful. Um, yeah, it started. It was it was a an act of Congress in 1964, um, bipartisan support. And what it what it does what it did then and does now is it takes um, royalties from offshore drilling, primarily the Gulf of Mexico, mm-hmm. and takes uh, 900 million dollars a year is paid into that fund by the oil companies. Mm-hmm. And it's, it, that $900 million is supposed to be used for conservation projects, access, outdoor recreation, mm-hmm. um, either creating new opportunities or, you know, building up existing ones. Mm-hmm. So that was a deal that was struck. You know, these oil companies wanted to drill in public water, was, you know, resource owned by people of the United States. And the deal was, okay, you can do that, but we need something in return. Right, and they gladly paid nine hundred million dollars because if you know anything about oil offshore, a little money made. Yeah, they make a few bucks. <laughs> yeah, so they're doing, they're, doing, they're doing all right. So right. anyhow, fast forward. I think the original, the original law was for thirty years. I might get some of this wrong because I'm I'm not a, uh, um, a scholar on this, but thirty years, and then it. Expired need to be reauthorized, which mm-hmm. it was, but only for three years. Mm-hmm. And then I believe Congress reauthorized it again for another three. And I believe, if, if I'm right, we're at the end of that. Right. Third. It's a total of like 50 years yeah. that it's been authorized, like yeah. in total, like however many times it was reauthorized. Like I might at, be missing one authorization in there. There so, were a couple presidents who, who authorized or yeah. who were part of pushing this through. Yeah, and it's Congress that has to reauthorize yeah. it. So... And reauthorization doesn't mean that it's it's going to go away necessarily. They could still be funded. So there's two pieces: the authorization, which says this is on the this is going to be something that we do going forward for this many years, right? Uh, and then there's the the funding of it um, through the annual budgeting process. So they could right. still, even if it's not reauthorized, they could still budget for it and and put money towards it and still have it going. There's lots of programs that aren't that don't get reauthorized that still get funded. Right. But we want full reauthorization. Of course. The other issue with it is that um, while $900 million is paid into the fund every year, not all $900 million makes it to the intended purpose. Right. Because that wasn't written into the original law. So in years when we, when the, when the conservation community gets 450 or 500 million, we feel lucky because right. Congress does what it will right. with the other half. Right. So, um, what we're asking for at this time, it's the it, it will expire September thirtieth. Yep. Um, what we really want is full reauthorization mm-hmm. and full funding. 
So we want $900 million for hopefully for a really long time. We yep. can get that. Um, the tea leaves in Washington don't say that we're going to get that because it's not a particularly friendly time right now, but we're right. still going to work on it and we're still going to ask for it. We're yeah. going to see what we can get. And, and so that's sort of the state. That's where it came from. And it, you, you hit on one of the problems with land and water conservation funds, like probably the most important funding mechanism for outdoor rec in the United States, but mm-hmm. nobody knows it exists because right. it has been like silently and well doing its job, you know, for right. 50 years. And, um, now all of a sudden it's this big important thing that might go away. Right. Because we, we don't pay attention to all those little things. Right. Yeah. And then just for the folks out there listening, it's like this thing, like, and I, I did just a little bit of reading cause I wanted to, uh, one, cause it's important Two, I wanted to learn about it. it was, it's kind of interesting. So anyone out there who's not aware of what this is and so forth, just Google it. And there's a ton of information about it. Um, it funds a lot of things that I didn't think about. You know what I mean? That, you know, because one of the things I think that we talk about as conservationists is like, yes, many hunters are conservationists by nature, right? It's like we have an interest in the wild places remaining wild for our utilization. And if we just want to go watch it, right, it doesn't mean we have to harvest anything. Same thing with fishermen. You know, the one place, though, that we start to lose people's interest is when we, you know, start going into that non-consumptive kind of route because they don't, you know, I won't say not all of them, but a lot of them maybe don't have the same type of connection that we that we do to to the outdoors, right? And I'm not talking about the non-consumptives who are like hikers and, you know, campers and stuff like that because they're having similar experiences just differently. I'm talking about those folks who like nature but really never want to spend a day in it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, don't like eh, it's got bugs. Eh, I'm not into bugs. You know, eh, it's probably going to get cold, not into the cold. You know, yeah. so... But the, the people for whom overlooks were created, right, right on the side right, of the highway. Yeah, right? exactly. Yeah. <laughs> That's a great way to put it. The overlookers, man. <laughs> yeah, the overlookers. Um, you know, for those folks, you know, this may not seem like a big deal to them, but they might benefit from it just as much. Not just from like being able to go to the outdoors and like enjoy nature and stuff like that, but like parks and people's small communities, mm-hmm. little league fields mm-hmm. are built. Places like Valley Forge, which is close to here, the battlefield are are funded by yep. this. A lot, by a this lot of historical group. things. Yeah. The thing, like you know, one of you know, and that's a, a battlefield. So that's some patriotism there. But like more recent things, like the place where the plane went down right outside of Pittsburgh during 9/11, that is funded yep. by this group, right? So there's a lot of things that I think people would feel really strongly about. Like if you would go to any American and say, "We're going to stop funding." The battle, the the battlefield at Gettysburg, and just let it grow up and not do anything with it, and we're right. just going to stop giving money to it so people can't watch it anymore and take care of it, or the nine eleven crash site, or any one of those things. Like people would, you would be drugged through the street if you made that suggestion, right? It's just I think sometimes we have a problem contextualizing these things, like in sure. what they like in the meaningful way that they should be. You know what I mean? It's like most people, if you say, yeah, we're gonna we're not going to fund this swamp over here that no one does anything but three guys go hunt it every year because they like being bit by mosquitoes. You know what right. I mean? It's like, well, yeah. I don't really need that anyway. Yeah, these are you not know? obscure places. Right, yeah. exactly. These are places that are meaningful to people and not just not just hunters and, 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 and fishers. The one thing when you talk, so there's always a fun word when you talk about Congress, it's reappropriation, mm-hmm. right? I was reading, actually right before you came over, and... So this was kind of staggering to me, like, think about this amount of money. So over the course of the past 50 years, I had it written here just because I thought the number was just nuts. $20 billion, billion with a B dollars have been siphoned off and reappropriated from the land 
and water conservation fund to be spent to go into the general treasury to be spent on i mean it could have been spent on five hundred dollar hammers vodka in <laughs> russia you know what i mean like whatever you know what i mean it could have been spent on just about just about yeah. anything but think about that man like like if you call that what it is like that's where i come from that's called stealing you know the american people were robbed you know and and no one talks about it right you know what i mean so it's like I feel like sometimes we have to use stronger language about what is actually happening. Like reappropriation is a really nice and convenient way to say, like, I just stole your money and screwed you. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, that's really what happened. Like, yeah. because, like one guy used to reappropriate my lunch money whatever yeah. I was, when I was in elementary school. With all due respect to our, our elected officials in Washington, they call that flexibility. Right. Steel had trapped. Whoa. <laughs> So the so Alexa just chimed in oh. with some uh, wa- the Washington fish is a steelhead. Wow, that's great to know. Yeah, so we just yeah. got in the podcast called Cromers, <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah, and the numbers are interesting. I'll throw some numbers at you too, since you you got numbers. The, uh, Three hundred fifteen million dollars is the the amount of uh, LWCF funds that Pennsylvania has received. That's awesome over the, over the course. And mm-hmm. you know, this money it doesn't go to any one entity. You know, yep. the, the the feds collect it. And then there's an application process that states yep. use to, to get it. So they don't just throw it around. Right. You know, the states that get this money to use, you know, for places like Gettysburg or, well, that's probably a federal National Park Service thing. Right. But, um, uh, say, Hickory Run State Park, which is a place I know that has been benefited from Land and Water Conservation Fund. Um, someone in, in the state DCNR applied for grants right. through LWCF and proved their point you know prove their case that they had money that you know, a project that was worthy of it and right so that's how it doesn't just get thrown about is it possible too that some places or states or entities or whatever whatever the the process is that that money that's being reappropriated has possibly just not been earmarked or asked for because the the paperwork wasn't filled out or they didn't, you know, request it or whatever the case might be? Not to my knowledge. Not to your knowledge? No. Okay. I'm just curious. Because it's the the amount that gets appropriated to the fund, to Land and Water Conservation Fund, is set by Congress. Right. Um, annually. So, right. Yeah. So that is zero taxpayer dollar. Oh, so that happens yeah. prior to... Yes. That happens prior to the the grant re- requests. As, as far Got as it. I know. Got it. Yeah. Okay. It's, it's an annual cycle. Yeah. Um, so yeah, there's. I mean, in, in in every state, you can find these stories. There, from what we're from what I'm told, there's not a county in the United States that doesn't have an LWCF project, and that could be, like you said, inner city ball fields, pools, yep. Yep. rural pools, mm-hmm. urban pools. You know, places where kids learn to swim. Yeah, like really important fundamental stuff, like things you'll take with you for life. Yeah, yeah. Places where kids learn to fish. Yeah, learn to hunt. You know, places that are close to their house. Maybe not the greatest place to fish and hunt like you know i grew up fishing the wissahickon creek right not a great right awesome place to fish really but i right. learned how to fish there so right. sometimes it makes uh, you better yeah and a lot <laughs> of those things were, were funded with lwcf money or boat ramps is another one mm-hmm. you know if you fish um you know a lot of state park boat ramps a lot mm-hmm. of delaware river access boat ramps a lot mm-hmm. of you know they're, they're all funded with lwcf so right. it's a program it's not just for land it can be used for land mm-hmm um, conservation, but it's also really those those key infrastructure pieces that make it either doable or not mm-hmm. to, to go there and recreate. Right. You know, they, they do that. Yeah. LWCF money does that too. So super important and imperiled 
right unfortunately what uh what are some ways people can help with it i mean i know we're coming up on you know it's you know i don't want to say d-day but you know there's the 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 clock is ticking right. when this is going to no longer be official, if you will. Um, so what are some things people can do to, to help with it? I mean, is there an action that people, just the common person can take? Yeah. I mean, we, my uh, BHA and, and other, plenty of other groups are, are working on this. So we have action, um, uh, action pages on our website as do plenty of our, our partners and similar organizations. You can go and um, in a couple of clicks, it will pull up, a letter that you can change, make it yours. You can add to it, you know, or mm-hmm. send it verbatim, and then type in your zip code, and it will send it directly to your your reps in Washington. It knows where you are, and it will do. It's it's literally less than thirty seconds to send nice. an email to your um, U.S. senators and U.S. reps. Um, this is not an issue for for state level. Right. Uh, this is you know federal. Yep. So you want to send send a letter. Pick up the phone is even better. If you can pick yeah. up a phone and call your um, call your senators, call your U.S. reps. Um, there are those offices are set up to take calls from people from constituents. It's mm-hmm. their job. They work for you. They mm-hmm. work for us. Um, you don't. You're not bothering anyone. Right. They want to know what you think. Yep. Uh, and it's your right as as a as an American to yep. have your voice heard. So pick up the phone. Write a letter. Call and tell them, you know, land and water conservation fund is important. You want full reauthorization. You want full funding. That's what we can do. And hopefully we'll. Uh, hopefully the good guys will win. Have some people listening. Yeah. Yeah. It'd, yeah. it'd be great. Yeah. There's, so, there are good things happening. I mean, there. It, this is not an unpopular thing. Yeah. I was actually going to ask. Like, it really, it, it is, it is, it has bipartisan support. This okay. Is, good. This is not a real, um, you know, it's not a lot of acrimony. Right. This. There's some some um, differences about like how long it should be reauthorized for. Or should it be fully funding? But gen- generally, land and water conservation fund is is pretty well liked. Right. Um, a, my opinion and what I'm told by people who understand DC better than I do right now, just the atmosphere in DC is not really friendly to getting something like this mm-hmm. um, done without some pushing. Right. You know. Um, Interesting. In Washington, it seems like things have to. Come down to the eleventh hour, right? You know, before before people will take notice, and hopefully that's what's going to happen here. But we don't want people to stop, you know, pushing. Right. So. Well, and the good news is, is if it doesn't happen by the by the you know the next thirty some odd days or whatever it is, it doesn't it doesn't mean that it couldn't happen after. No, it's not like it's dead. It doesn't right. just disappear and go away. Right. That, it, it, you know, the act is still there, and. Um, but, and it could get funded even though it's not authorized. Right. Uh, there are plenty of programs. That, but that ticking clock also kind of pushes people to... Right. When you have a deadline. Yeah. Right. We, we've been working really hard on this all year. And I don't want to say frustrated, but, you know, we've got a lot of time. And we took 25 um, BHA members from across the country, from Alaska to Maine, to, to D.C. in May. Wow. For a fly-in. It was our, our biggest fly-in ever called... When you take your... Take your folks to D.C. to walk the halls and talk to reps. It's called a fly-in. Okay. You know, nonprofits and other organizations do this. So our biggest right. fly-in happened in May. Nate Frank, the chair from PA, was there. Um, and, you know, about 20 other BHA members and leaders from, from all over the U.S. We, we brought them all into D.C. We had meetings and, and got organized. And then we went out and stopped the halls and, and talked to uh, representatives from all over the place and Senators, Congressmen. So this is something we've been. It's been our. It's been our main priority on the the, the national advocacy scene for the whole year. Um, 
So now we're coming down to the the, the wire. Yeah, and we're gonna. Have, looks like we're gonna have to keep keep digging in, duking it, duking out even after that. Which <laughs> right. Is, you know, we'd rather move on to other things. Right. Um, right. But we'll keep at it as we have to. So. Right. So we've been up, we've been doing on here for just about an hour rolling, and I, I want to be sensitive to your time. I know you got to get back to that sweet Marriott. Oh yeah, you know, kick yeah. your kick your feet up to Marriott. Um, so I'll have two more questions or okay. two more things, and then we'll and then we'll call it. But so I'm just curious, man. You know, I know that this is the thing you guys are really kind of digging in on, and this has been your your main focus. But you know, I know you guys also are kind of always monitoring what's happening just in general. You know. Um, what are some things that people should just be kind of thinking about in the back of their mind down the, like for the future? Like, are there any things coming up that, you know, specifically for this podcast hunters or just people who enjoy the outdoors should kind of have in the back of their mind or know that something, this, this is coming and should be mindful and aware of it on the policy front. Yeah. The, the, there's a, a good thing coming out in the pike called uh Rawa mm. Re- restoring America's wildlife act. Cool. Which could, um, could be a great thing for for anyone who cares about wildlife, whether you like, um, you know, songbirds at your feeder or mm-hmm. big bucks in your food corn, plots, in your cornfield, <laughs> right? Um, that's coming up next, and we're 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 looking at it and reading into it. It's it's uh, it's a thing that exists in D.C. It's um, the work of a lot of people across the country who work in conservation that have pulled this this idea together and it's sort of a, a big a big project a big um push to help things that are in trouble wildlife in trouble that's and, cool and fund our wildlife science uh at the state level that's cool so that's that's a good one that's coming you can find that online too our it's called rawa r-a-w-a or restore restore america's wildlife act um that's it's cool. floating around. It hasn't. Um, it's not official yet. So it, just so I understand it, so it would be a fund then that states could then manage the those dollars how they need to for their state, whatever's the most pressing thing that they need to kind of take care of from a, a wildlife management perspective. Yeah, similar to LWCF, this would be a you know a grant uh, pool of money that that state states would apply to grants mm-hmm. you know, for grants from. And That's awesome. Would fund individual states' work, you know, so that. The money comes from the federal level, and again, it's it's there's no tax money involved. This is mm-hmm. another. Um, the money would come from um, oil and gas exploration mm-hmm. in, in other places, uh, which is, you know we, no one wants to hike taxes right ever right, right. so um, yeah, there's no taxpayer money involved, and it would fund um, flow from the feds down to to fund what's important in states you know because they we we feel. Wildlife management is best done at the local level. Right, people in the states know what they're doing and yep. they know what their priorities are. So, yeah, that's awesome, man. So, so that's a big one. There's another something you said um, earlier. I think is something that all of us should be doing too, which is trying to um, introduce others. Yeah, you know, yeah. If you're 100%. if you're if you're buying your license fee, you're buying your licenses and your tags. You're not contributing. Right, you're just giving yourself the experience. Right. Um, at the very minimum, everyone who cares about the outdoors and future of wild places and the hunting and fishing, we should be have memberships to to BHA or TRCP or Trout Unlimited or any mm-hmm. of those great groups. You know, not just I, mean, I would like love it if it's us, right? But uh, you know, any of them, you know, and it's twenty five bucks a year. Yep. Um, I always for, say for that, an man. entry level membership, yeah. and you can do more. You know, yep. uh, and lots of people do, but that's your minimum. 
Yeah. You know, beyond that, um, take somebody hunting. Yeah. You know, do what you can to be an ambassador for, for hunting and fishing. Yes. You know, trailhead diplomacy. Yeah. You know. Don't be uh, a jerk. Don't scare people. <laughs> yeah. With your camo and your bow. <laughs> uh, yeah, you know, uh, have people over for a game meal. 100%. You know, I did that last year. I had yep. non-hunters over for uh, uh, southern fried squirrel wings. And mallard duck and uh, pulled venison. I bet they loved it. They did. The the squirrel wings were the first thing to go. Yep. You know. It tastes just like chicken. Yeah. It's better than chicken. Yeah. So, yeah, that kind of stuff's important, you know. I mean, you know, don't be be proud of being a hunter, but be inclusive, be respectful, you know. 100%, man. Put on your best face for your sport. Yeah. 100%. It's like, I look at it like this, man. Whenever I talk to someone about hunting that's not a hunter, I look at it as going to church. Right, mm-hmm. it's like put on the Sunday best. You know, I'm doing everything I can. Not lying to them. I'm not even shading the truth with them. I I answer their questions honestly, but I do it respectfully in in a way that can be consumed by someone who isn't a hunter. Right. Right. It's um. You know, I I had some friends over for a, a game meal. It was, it was maybe one of the first times. I shouldn't say one of the first times. Well, actually, yeah, it was probably one of the first times where I did something and the light went off where I was like, oh, I can actually change people's minds with this. Mm. You know what I mean? It was a similar thing. It was some folks that were at a bus stop. I wrote a, wrote an article about it for uh, QDMA. They ran it. And it was, I made them, I talked to them at the bus stop for probably a year and a half about me hunting. First, they were squeamish and didn't like it. It was, mm-hmm. I was, I was a quote unquote bus mom. You know what <laughs> yeah, I mean? Oh, I was, yeah. I, I've, I was been one bu- of, yeah. I've been a bus mom for years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it was me and a bunch of bunch of ladies, and one of them we've kind of became friends. I became friends with her husband, and she wasn't really all that into hunting, and which was fine, you know. And each their own. You know, not everyone has to be into it. Um, just want them to respect it, you know, and, and understand it maybe a little bit was was my hope. And you know, I would tell her about hunting, and you know, Anna shooting her bow and stuff like that. And as we started talking about, it, she got a little, you know, less and less standoffish about it. Um, and then what I recognized was that she had a different image in her mind of what a hunter was, and it wasn't me when mm-hmm. we first met. You know what I mean? Because her questions were all about, like, so you eat it? And I was like, yeah, I eat it. And she was like, do you clean it yourself? I'm like, yeah, I clean it, process it, butcher it, do it all myself. And her question was, like, why? And, you know, for me, it was like, you know, I'm, I'm into healthy living and working out and stuff like that. I was like, but more than anything, I was like, I feel like if I'm going to take the life of the animal, like, I did. I need to process it, and process it entirely is just my way of paying my respects to the animal, knowing how it's all being consumed and used and using every last piece of it. Um, and that to her was like different, right? Not what she had in mind of as a hunter like prior to that. Um, we invited them over eventually. They came, became a little bit more accepting of it, and I invited them over to cook them a venison dish, and they loved it. And they asked to have some to take home. Yeah, and I shared some with them. And that was the story. And that was when, and that was just like, that was like, there, anybody can do that. You know, just invite your neighbor over, cook them a meal, you yeah. know, and make sure when people are asking you about hunting that you talk about it the right way. I think yeah. it's so important. I mean, if you do nothing else and just do that, you'd be surprised how big of an impact you could have, you know. But, yeah, I agree. But so one last question here before I let you go, and this I always like to end with this one with everyone I have on. I always like to get a hunting story mm. from the folks I have on. So this could be a memorable story of 
of a harvest. It could be a memorable story of a near miss. It could be just a, a camp story of like a time where you didn't even go out and hunt and you just sat and sat at camp and kicked some back and played cards. You know what I mean? Like whatever the case is, give me your, uh, give me your, your favorite and most memorable hunting story. Oh, most memorable hunting story. Now this is, this one out of all the questions is always the one that stumps everybody. Cause they're always kind of like, man, that's, that's a, how do I pick? Yeah. Well, I think I got one. So I have not hunted waterfowl probably 20 years I think. oh wow and it was the last day of duck season in where i live in state college last year and it had been really cold for a long time and i've been thinking about getting out and um a lot of ducks need to land on open water mm-hmm. and it had been really cold for a while mm-hmm. and there was not a lot of open water and i was thinking that and we have um spring fed creeks near us that never freeze i think there's gotta be ducks right there has to be so I uh, put down the computer and put on my camo and grabbed, I think, I think a 20-year-old box of steel ammo <laughs> that I had, uh, you know, hidden in the basement somewhere in my right. shotgun. And I went to um, nearby Spring Creek, uh, places, you know, it's okay to hunt. And I hadn't even loaded my gun and I busted a bunch of mallards off the river. And I didn't get a shot at those because it just wasn't even wasn't even thinking it was going to go that well right i've never been much of a water power anyway right i've been a few times but it's not like it's not like it's my thing right so i loaded up the gun and went down on, on a bend in the river and just hung out there thinking ducks flying up this up this river are going to fly over me because they're not going to go with the bend and i'm right. going to have a nice shot right here and five minutes later a whole bunch of mallards came up and i got the <laughs> last one with one shot and it fell about 15 feet from where I was standing stone dead and I had uh, neoprene waders on because I was sure I was going to have to go in the frigid right. water but I didn't even have to because he dropped on the land nice. and I was like yeah I can't, it, I'm done yeah I loaded the gun I grabbed the duck <laughs> and I went home and I, like I'm going to end on a high note I'm not going right. to stand here the rest of the day and freeze and, and you know, be miserable yeah and yeah. so I think my takeaway from that was you got to get out. Yeah. You know, you can't, yep. you can't shoot ducks sitting at home doing emails. Yep. Which is what I was doing. Yep. So, um, you got to get out there. And that's, that's why I like that story because yep. I, I was, I was this close to not going because work was so important that day. And, yep. you know, I don't remember what I was working on. It couldn't have been that important. You yep. know, my duck hunting story is way more important yep. than whatever it, I was working on. Work will be there when you get back. Yeah. So get, get out there. Get after it. It's the only way to have have good stories. That's right, man. And yeah. uh, adventure awaits if you do. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Awesome, man. I appreciate it, brother. Thanks yeah. for coming on, man. All right. Thank you. Yeah, you bet. It's been great. All right, folks. That is a wrap for today's show. I'd like to thank Chris for joining. Be sure to visit Backcountry Hunters and Anglers website and become a member if you have not already done so. It's a great organization and can always use additional support. Also, you want to make sure to be on the lookout for any of your state, individual state chapters that are holding events. Uh, These are really cool. They hold pint nights and stuff like that. So it's a great place to meet some like-minded folks uh, who are into, you know, hunting, fishing, the outdoors, camping, backpacking, you name it, they're into it. If you're into the outdoors, you definitely want to be uh, part of this group. I'll, of course, place all the links to the website and so forth in the blog post show notes uh, as well, so you can easily find it. We, of course, like to thank all of you who continue to listen to John and I and our guests kind of talk about hunting, you know, outdoors, conservation, all these things. We really do 
Appreciate you spending some time with us. And if you haven't yet, please head over to iTunes and leave us a five-star rating and be sure to subscribe to the podcast so we can deliver each and every episode of the podcast directly to your mobile devices. And if uh, if you'd do those couple things for us, we'd be super appreciative of that. And before we shut this thing down, we need to give a big shout out to our partners that continue to help us make this podcast possible. Wicked Tree Gear, Exodus Outdoor Gear, Trophy Ridge, Ozonics, Obsession Bows, Tecamani Seed, Glacier Coolers, Ramcat Broadheads, Trophy Taker Rests, and Dead Down Wind. And until next time, we'll see y'all. All right, gang, the new Truth merch is in stock at truthfromthestand.com and on YouTube below any of the Truth From The Stand videos. I've got some new hats, beanies, t-shirts, long-sleeve t-shirts, and sweatshirts. There's even a new do-hard-shit hat for those of us who like to embrace micro-dosing adversity. So head to truthfromthestand.com and check out the new gear and use the code TRUTH, T-R-U-T-H, and save yourself some cash on the new gear.